bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City and beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, coming to you from my office at the Hayden Planetarium right here in New York City. I got Chuck Nice. Chuck! Hey, what's happening, Neil? You're my man. That's right. Tweeting a Chuck Nice comic. Thank you, sir. And I, I went over another Chuck. You're also a Chuck. That's I right. can be a Chuck. We call you yeah. Charles, but you, in, in your day, you were Chuck. Yes. I ain't calling you Chuck because that's my Chuck. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I got uh, Charles Liu on the line here because... Uh, he just published a book, except he doesn't have the book for me to show. <laughs> How do you like that? Charles, the name of your book. Yes, uh, it is 32nd Universe. And wait, wait I, you know 31 other universes? The 32nd universe. It would universe. be nice. <laughs> I would enjoy that. Well, there's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's the Marvel Regular Ooh, Universe, the DC oh, Universe. You had an answer to That's that. Right. Well, no, no. Look, thank you so there, much. There's the Hundred Acre Wood. That's right. <laughs> right. There's all these universes. All these universes. Mm -hmm. Where the laws of physics are not quite all there. That's nice. You know? But it's very nice. And and yes, this book is out, and I'm very, very who's lucky. Uh, Ivy Press. Ivy uh, Press. Which, mm -hmm. yes. And let me shout out, give a shout out to my co-authors as well, Karen Masters, uh, who is at Haverford. Nice. Uh, and Seville Salur at Rutgers. Mm -hmm. oh, cool. And uh, the editor, Stephanie Haverford Evans. and Rutgers are universities. Universities. The universities, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. They're not yes. just towns on a map Yes, or that's right. That's right. right. And then Stephanie Evans, who was the editor extraordinaire. It was really a wonderful team effort. I was very, Let very fortunate to be ass. part of it. Mm, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I'm like, extraordinary like, editor. I'm like, I'm, I'm, why am I not helping him write a book? <laughs> <laughs> it, when, when, when Chuck Liu does a book, it's like Wu-Tang wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. True, though, these things are, are works that are really team efforts. Yeah, There's yeah. no question about it. Yeah, and exactly. if I would be foolish to imagine that it was all me. It's yeah. not. Absolutely not. Plus, my editors make me say what I mean and mean what I say. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Good way to put it. Yeah. That's a good way mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. yeah. So now, what is the 30 so, second part? Ah, it's three zero seconds. So that means that you're actually supposed to think about or answer questions or consider topics 30 seconds at a time. So you have parceled your content right. in 30-second increments. That's right. Each is basically one small page of text, and you also have a brief uh, sort of summary that might be only three seconds. You wait, wait, so there's a topic idea. that you're, you're about to explain in 30 yes, seconds. that's right. And you do this on every page of the on book. every page of the book. Wow. There's 30 seconds. How many pages? Uh, 50. 50, so this yes. should take 25 Fifth, minutes to read. Yes. Wow. The goal is to yeah, keep Look at you. Yes, you wow, that was quick. That was, I mean, I'm telling you. Am I quick? Oh, boy, God. That's you why were, I'm in this seat and you in that seat. You're a regular Texas <laughs> instrument. <laughs> Man. Yeah. There's also biographies and there's other comments, people you can look at, and there's beautiful artwork on every spread as well. Oh, cool. So yeah. you didn't mention the artist. Ah, yes, Stephen Rawlings. Stephen Rawlings, uh, yeah, very nice. really talented person. Right, art, just great people. The art just makes the page. It really does. It, it makes it tastier. Right. to the, right. the eye. Excellent. It, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to do in honor of the release of your book, which we don't have a copy of. Sorry. We're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. We're going to. Uh, we solicited questions from our fan base. 
right. to say any question that could be answered in 30 seconds by you guys. Oh. So it's a no, cos- his, his damn book. Well, no, 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 no. It's the two of you now. Sorry. I mean. Team effort. Yeah. Collaboration. Exactly. How about go. this? How about You're not this? getting out of this. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's his book. Okay. <laughs> How about this? How about this? If I can answer it in less time. Right. Then it's a throw. It's it's a cage oh, it's match. A throw down. Throw down. Oh, How about that? Man. Oh, let me get my timer. <laughs> <laughs> no, Yo, that's cool. <laughs> Ouch. But but the person who goes second actually has an advantage because what you're doing is, I mean, both of you will always know the right answer. Yeah. So we the presume. second person will only have to no, no, no. condense the first person's answer. Yeah, that's I, true. So yeah, why why do you give away my advantage? <laughs> but no, no. But, but let me say also, Chuck, we. Both might not know the answer. There's yeah, plenty I don't know that Neil knows, does know. And, and I would very much like to learn or get questions from people who I, I don't know the answer to so I can go think about it. I think that'd be great. Well, you yeah, know. and what are the chances of that? <laughs> <laughs> so, Chuck, you got the question. All right, so all right, just like on. with all of our Cosmic Queries, we uh, you know glean these from all over the internet. And as usual, we start. With a Patreon patron. Patreon patron. A Patreon patron, right. because Patreon patrons actually support us financially. All right, what do All you right here we go. Here's our first question for Renee Douglas, who is our Patreon patron. Renee, thank you. Uh, how much mass is needed for a planetary body to make itself round? Is there an equation? Ooh. Charles, yeah, go I, for I, it. And I got to add a follow-up. And, and, and is that affected by the mass of nearby objects and the gravity uh, associated. He's up to complicating it. I don't know yeah, if that's yeah, allowed. Yeah. Right, I shouldn't complicate Judges, is that allowed? You know what? <laughs> yeah. All right, let me, let's me let answer Renee's question. I think it's a great question, yeah, but great I, question. it just sparked mm-hmm. that in me. Chuck, S- Charles, go. Simple question answer is that, yes, there is an equation. It's called the equation of hydrostatic equilibrium. It assumes that if the object were able to move freely and were only held together primarily by gravity, how much mass would be necessary. And it depends on the density. It depends on certain other aspects of things. But in the end, it's about a few hundred miles, maybe a thousand miles around. Um, For example, Ceres, the largest asteroid uh, in our solar system, is not quite a thousand miles. It's like five or six hundred miles across, and it is completely round. So there is a range, maybe 100-ish miles, where you're really starting to see things come around and become round. As for objects being nearby affecting the roundness of an object, you have to be really, really close in order to disrupt the general hydrostatic equilibrium activities of an object free-floating in space or even in orbit around something like a sun or another planet. Neil, am I correct? I give him a... A minus. Uh oh. There's a minus. I'll take here. it. I'll a take it. A minus. All right. You ain't never got an A minus in your life. So oh. Don't even. You are sad. <laughs> I just gave you an A minus. <laughs> Tell me, Charles, how many A minuses did you get in your life? Uh, there have been a few. Mm hmm. And did you contest them all? <laughs> Were you that student? I don't understand how I got an A minus. No, no. At some point, you no. don't contest because you just know you're right and the teacher just got it wrong. You just <laughs> no, move no, on. No, no, oh, no, no. Right, right. That can happen. <laughs> that's for, great. For my final exams, uh, I would go to my professors. I did go to every professor and ask them to explain to me what I did wrong. Mm-hmm. And that is true. And, and for that, I'm grateful that the professors spent the time to do that. Because in the end, nobody cares anymore, except you, Neil, whether I ever got an A minus, right? It's whether or not you know the stuff. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, right? I don't care. And so the matter fundamentally was, did I learn it? Right. And so mm-hmm. if I made a mistake and the professor, I still remember a, a professor of, mm-hmm. uh, actually several professors of mine who actually took the time, you know, after the final exam when they could have just packed up and taken off. Mm-hmm. And See, they my said, teachers, okay, well, this and this and this. And I really was grateful for that. My teachers, their response was, you know, it's really difficult to cover all the coursework to bring... <laughs> this D into some type of <laughs> reasonable explanation as to why you received it. <laughs> so you had some did pass. <laughs> I did pass the class. So Charles, let me explain why it was A minus and not A plus. Fair enough. Okay. Thanks, the, Professor. The, the premise of hydrostatic equilibrium presupposes that everything is just sort of held together by gravity. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, you can get a sphere of any mass. As what long as it's sufficiently ha- isolated. N- yeah. what, mm-hmm. Right. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, if the structural integrity of rocks is greater than the ability of gravity to do anything with the rocks, your object in space is the shape of the rock. 
Good point. Period. Right. Period. So that's why, for example, Mount Everest still exists. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah, it's because the structure of the rock is preventing it from becoming. Correct. So there's a size above which the total collection of whatever it is you've got right. fails in the face of the forces of gravity. It cannot hold up whatever shape it wanted in the face of the forces of gravity. Gravity then tries to get every bit of it as close to the center of the object as it can, right. and there's only one shape that that makes. And that's always a sphere. And that's a sphere. Mm -hmm. Always. And Earth, even with Mount Everest, is a damn good sphere. Mm. Can I tell you how damn good it is? Go ahead. It's not just good. Go ahead. It's not just good. All right. It is damn good. Damn good. <laughs> good. Mm. Okay, so what's the lowest point of Earth's crust? Oh, it's about the Marineris Trench, yeah. probably, about six or seven miles down. So six or seven miles down. Right. Highest point on Earth's crust? Uh, Mount Everest. Mount Everest. Yeah. How high about up is it? About six or seven miles up. Add the right. six or seven miles up, six or seven miles down, you get 13 miles. Right. That is the length of Manhattan right. Island. Okay. So the entire range of texture on Earth's surface fits within 13 miles on an 8,000-mile diameter planet. Wow. Wow. That's pretty good. So uh, if you shrunk Earth to the size of a cue ball, it'd be one of the smoothest cue balls right. ever, ever machined. Exactly, right, yeah. And we say, oh, the high mountains, low valleys ain't nothing compared to the size of this planet. And that's why it looks flat to some people. Wow. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. that's the reason. That's well, it. well, that's one of the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. so, so all I'm saying is gravity would make something small yeah. round. That's true. You have to compare it to whatever the other forces are operating. Well, hey, does that mean that the little... Curly Q balls of like say water floating around International Space no, Station. No, so those are, are not. Those are not hydrostatically equilibrium. Uh, no, those are not those gravitationally. Are surface tension. That's all. Sur right. That's so, all surface tension. So it's just, right. is that yeah. now? Wait. So is that because the molecules have no place to go except there? Except in because that every form, molecule has an attraction to, to every, every neighboring other, molecule. Right. And if all molecules attract all other molecules and they're free floating. They make, they a, sphere. make a sphere, mm -hmm. which okay. is why air makes a sphere underwater. So it's the same thing. The water mm. in space, air underwater, wouldn't that be the same? I, Almost. I, yes. Almost. It's a little okay. bit different because you've got buoyancy going on. Right. See, the air is less dense right. than the water. Correct. And as a result, there is a force. So the water... Wait, wait, wait. It, Charles, you get a sphere even if there's no, no net force of gravity in the water. I'm pretty sure. If you, you gravity if you just take makes a move. sphere and then you take a straw and push, you know, say, blow an air bubble inside a sphere of water floating, say, in the International Space Station, it would be spherical on the inside as well. Yeah. Right, but I think it would be spherical on Earth, even without, with, with 1G force. Right, so in the space station, you're agreeing that it would still make a sphere yes. right. inside. It, would, it, no, it wouldn't know where to go, it would right. just stay right. there. Just stay there. Mm -hmm. right. Right. Yeah. right, right. But the buoy, there's no, even without the so, buoyancy, so here's it doesn't the make a difference. Gotcha. With, with no other net force of gravity, right. the surface tension wins, and it's another attractive force, like gravity is an attractive force, and it makes things spheres. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay? Surface tension also shows up in, 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 in soap bubbles. Okay. It's the surface tension of the liquid, yeah. of, of the, of the uh, glycerin. That's why when you blow the soap bubble, it's round. Right. right? And yeah. it floats. Yeah, there are no cubes. There's no cubes. <laughs> <There's no cube. laughs> right. Even I if, mean, if you're really good. No, 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 no. You can have a square <laughs> right. soap bubble maker. Right. And what comes out of comes it is a, sphere. Is, a, is a sphere. That's correct. However, well, oh, no, you're absolutely There's right. no however because to that you, No, there isn't. There isn't. <laughs> I was going to say, though, however, you can, you can see the surface tension at work before it creates the mm -hmm. sphere. Mm -hmm. So if you have a giant hoop yeah. and you just just keep it like moving keep all going. the yeah, time, beautiful then you'll just get iridescent. a big wavy It starts as wavy effect. thing, but if right. it left but if you let it devices, alone, mm -hmm. it'll come back to a it'll sphere. Come back to a Do sphere. you know how you can make a square, uh, a cubic soap bubble? What? Uh -oh. You blow six round soap bubbles around the outside and the seventh one in the middle that's formed by the result of the other six can be a cube. Ooh. Oh, wow. You okay. have power over soap bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. The, I saw it once. Well, I, I, I saw it once. We got, done. We, we got. We got. It's we're, amazing. We're, we have totally let go of the premise of the show. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We're, we were no, supposed no, no, to no. do we, everything. Okay, we just did. Okay, so thirty seconds. All right. Okay. We've answered like Since twenty, we thirty seconds. Let me just bust it. All the rules. Finish this out. Go ahead. So, so water makes a perfect sphere in in a zero g environment. Okay. Because surface tension wins. Surface tension wins. If you bring it to one g. Right. Gravity wins, and then the, the water just flattens out. Right. Okay? Now, we are not spheres. Mo most of us are not spheres. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> we, are not, we are not held together by 
uh, gravity. Right. Or by surface tension. No, we're not. We're held together by intermolecular <laughs> forces of our flesh. Right. Okay? And that is stronger than the gravity exhibited here on the surface of the Earth, which is why we can stand up and walk. Right. And not just fall down into a pile of goo or a pile of a puddle of fluid like a, right. a sphere of water would do. Yes. yes. Yeah. Right. It right. is a testament to the strength of the electromagnetic force compared to gravity that we can have this now, now, Oh, now, my send God. Chuck now, to wait a, a minute. Send we Chuck to a neutron star. We just went in a completely different direction send, now. Send Chuck to a neutron star. To a neutron to star. Yeah, put if him on the surface. Get onto the surface of a neutron star. Right. Your head will feel so much less gravitational acceleration than your feet that you will literally be squished like a pancake. Nice. Meanwhile, if you are on your way falling down, your toes will actually be pulled toward the surface faster than your head will, so you'll actually be elongated. But that's if he's falling towards it. That's right. I'm just saying, put if him I'm on the surface. I'm just standing on it. I'm oh, saying, yeah. put him on the surface, he Flat. flattens out. Oh, yeah. Right. That's right. It. Yeah, because the gravitational force on the surface of, are so. Uh, they're, so strong. They're higher than your the structural integrity forces, of, your, right? of your body. And, and well, is there anything that wouldn't flatten out? And so look at all the structural integrities of things on Earth. The material of a neutron star itself. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you put so, a neutron... How's okay. that for, that for a cop-out answer? Okay, that's, that reminds me of the joke that says, so after every plane crash, they find a black box. Why don't they just make the plane out of the black box? Yeah, right? well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow, man, that was a lot out of one little question. Uh, yeah, we totally How violated. much mass is needed for a planetary body to make itself round? So the answer, uh, Renee, is 42. Now, so, no, the, the answer... The specific answer to that question, the fair answer is... The fair answer. Yes, is that if the object is made of rock, it's a couple of hundred miles. It's a few miles, hundred miles. A few hundred miles mm -hmm. of the rock. rock. Yeah, there and whatever go. mass... If it's made of water, it can be any, any size at all. Any size at once. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Okay, cool, cool, okay. cool, cool, cool. All right, all right. Chuck, another question. Here, we got we 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 to live by the rules. Yeah, let's live by this the rules. This is 30-second universe. Well, I don't, mind if we, I don't mind if we actually expound on the question afterwards. We just got to answer it in 30 seconds. Very good. Okay, here we go. Did I do that? Yeah, you did. I think <laughs> okay, you did. Well, thank I think you. you did. Thank you. I think thank you, you did. No, in fairness, right. fairness, it's just that we answered seven questions. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Which is Here we great. go. Salvador Bello wants to know this. Ooh, love that name. Is Salvador, Salvador Bello. Salvador Bello. Is bald the best hairdo for zero G? <laughs> 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 we will answer that when we return. Uh, and by the after way, our first break on this special episode celebrating the release of Charles Liu's book, The Thirty Second Universe. See you in a moment. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today this is star talk we're back answering questions in 30 seconds 
Why? Because Charles Liu has a book out called The 32nd Universe where he and two co-authors yes. do just that on every page. Now, Chuck, we left off. Yes. <laughs> if you've been, if you've tuned in, if you're in. <laughs> we left off with Salvatore... It's, well, we, I we said, said bello, bello, but it's Bello. He is indeed Spanish. How do you know? Because he wrote me a note that said, <laughs> <laughs> he said, if Chuck is reading this, the two L's make the Y sound. Oh, so that's a Spanish. So it's Bello, so he's Spanish. It's Communication. Yes. Bello. And, and, Char and Charles read that and Charles like a book knew the right deal. there. He knew it. Yeah. Very good, Charles. Because yes. Salvatore. Exactly. Go so for it. his question was, is bald the best hairdo for zero G? No. Charles. Buzz cut's better. Bald is good because it won't fly in your face. Right. But actually, the helmet material will stick to your head, and if you sweat, then you don't have, like, this extra little cushion. So you have a little bit of hair, all right, maybe a centimeter's worth all around, and that sort of cushions and makes you more comfortable. Well, that's if you're spacewalking. If you're in any zero-G environment. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. Because if, if, I, if I'm just floating in the space station, yeah, you I'm not wearing a helmet. A helmet. Okay, fair enough. But then you've got, <laughs> but then, but then sooner or later you're going to put a helmet on, right? When I guess you, so. When you go up or when you come down okay. or when you're out taking a and space. And if you're nervous, walk. you'll sweat on your head. Yes. Okay. And not even nervous, so people just sweat on their heads. Right. I mean, a lot of us don't realize that, but because we have hair most of the time, that the sweat doesn't like glisten and doesn't get sticky and things like that. No, just so having your scalp a, smell. Right. So having a little tiny bit of hair Skanky is very helpful. <laughs> what are you going to wash your hair? God. Well, well so. So buzz cuts best. In my opinion. Just to put a little insulating layer between you and whatever you'd be wearing comfort, on your head. Right, a comforting layer. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Comforting layer. All okay. right, that was the easy question. You did it in 30 seconds. But, here's wait, the wait, Otherwise, your hair is flying all... Oh, if it's yeah. long hair, your hair oh, is doing yeah. this. Right. Oh, terrible sort of... I got of in big trouble when I commented that Sandra Bullock's hair always knew which way gravity was going in the movie Gravity. Right. When everything else is floating around and her hair just stayed there. Oh, really? Yes! Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, yeah. don't get me started. That is just Hold awful. me back. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah. I said mysteries yeah, yeah. of gravity. While Sandra yeah. Bullock banged, right. always knew which way gravity was going. That's why I like this show called The Expanse, because when they're in zero G, it's it looks like they're underwater. They got and it. And they can't control their movements, like okay. in their direction. Like, for yeah. instance, if they start drifting to the left, no matter what they do, <laughs> I don't care how much arm flailing and uh -huh. kicking, they just keep drifting to the left, which is pretty Slide cool. Slide to the left. <laughs> right. Slide to the right. Unless they break wind, in which case they can then direct their motion. But you have to aim it in the right way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Has that ever been... <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to lower your draws so that it can actually... No, <laughs> wait, wait. You can't it's tell me that you are an adult man if you never thought about this. Oh, God. Charles, Charles. Yes. Oh, no. Charles, here's the thing. The way forces work, if you are wearing pants, like, okay. like, like, like space pants, okay, space and you <laughs> let go of wind... Then it just hits the pants and bounces back, and there's no net there's no anything. Net anything. That you help. need like a right. skate pole. You just became your own worst enemy. Right, That's exactly. Right. So you need a, an escape, uh, an exhaust hatch, hatch. Right. hatch that you lower it down, uh -huh. have it come out, and then you can propel and you yourself. You can propel forward. yourself. And the good thing about about uh, flatulence is that it's almost where your center of mass is. So would you agree with this, Charles? So that it, you'll push yourself forward. Sort of uniformly. Mm -hmm. But if you did it, if you like burped heavily, you could start rotating backwards. Yeah. If you because, burped. Well, well, because you're 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 that exhaust is not near your center of mass. Mm -hmm. Right. So you start rotating. Right. You'll still move, but you'll also but rotate. You just rotate. Yeah. So yeah. Your acceleration is very, very slow either way. Yeah. Right. Right. But it's I figure the if you're the total mass of gas yeah. is low compared with the mass of your body. Yeah. Right. We presume. We presume. Because <laughs> you don't know what I have for lunch. <laughs> and and there, you have no idea. <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's all I can tell you. There's a guy named Tsiolkovsky who created the thing called the rocket equation. You can make the calculation. Well, the Russian guy from 100 yes, years ago. Yes. Yeah. And it turns out to be one of the, the most significant mathematical equations in all of spaceflight activity. Yeah. Sort of wow. So okay. Cool. I think if you live in the expanse or if you like travel through the expanse, you have to I don't, have I some seen sort the of show. Is it something really I got to put on? Don't look at me like that. It's a great show. <laughs> look, if you're in the expanse, I presume everyone who's there has to have some sort of an emergency propulsion system in case to. they're stuck, yeah. right? So you've got to have something, like maybe maybe some sort of exhaust hatch that you mm -hmm. have in your pocket. And right. if you need to go somewhere, then you just put it on, and then you'll be able to transport yeah. yourself right. in case of emergency. Thank God I ate broccoli. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, next question. Here we go. go. This is Paul Weist. 
Uh, from Paul, where? From where? Uh, Paul is coming to us also. He is a Patreon patron. Good. And he says, instead of deep thought, the answer to the universe, what specific question would you ask an all-powerful supercomputer? Oh. First, explain deep thought. Okay. In The Hitchhiker's nice. Guide to the Galaxy, right. one of the very classic first radio shows, which then was turned into books and then movies. Interesting tip. Uh, I, yes, did I did not know that. Yeah, that. A really beautiful uh, multi-part BBC production. The whole point of the existence of Earth was that there was a computer named Deep Thought that could answer all kinds of questions, but he could not answer the ultimate question to life, the universe, and everything. He gave the answer after thinking about it for millions of years, 42. And he said, if you actually want the question to the answer, then you have to create an even more amazing supercomputer, and that was called Earth. And what happened wow. was, yes, well, I, and Earth deep. was supposed to be the computer to f to solve, give to us get the, the question, question that for which the answer, answer 42. is forty two. I didn't know all that. I didn't know any of that. I didn't get any of that out of the yeah. movie. Oh my uh -huh. god, that's the Man, deep thought. What oh. psychotropic drugs were they doing when they came up wow. with that? It, that's the, the show did come out in the uh, you know at, at, in at that, the, time. that period of time. Okay, yes. that makes sense. Okay, so, so now, so yes. now answer the question. The question I would ask the thought is. Do these clothes make me look fat? <laughs> oh. And this is why. A true supercomputer like a human brain takes into account not just individual numbers or data that comes in, but also the entire structure of all the information that it has ever experienced to come up with that answer. Mm -hmm. We all know that if somebody asks you, do these clothes make me look fat? Mm -hmm. They don't want the answer. It is a loaded question. Right. So, if the computer understands it is a loaded question and answers it in a way that is satisfactory for the social environment, then I'll go on and answer, ask other questions because then I'll know it actually knows what it's talking about. No, you, no you'll only know that I'm, it knows I'm, human culture. Right. Rather than the universe. Well, or maybe it's just a really honest computer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Charles, you're giving the computer um, a stepping stone to judge whether it is worthy of your next question. Correct. That's what you're doing. That's right. Okay. Because it's really important to do that. And it, it doesn't even have to be human, right? I have a better question it can be than a, that. It could be a, a Martian version. Or, sure. Or some you know, other version of like a question that's loaded and it's got context. I have a loaded question. You ready? Oh, okay. I would ask the computer. Does time fly like an arrow? Or do fruit flies like a banana? <laughs> that is the dumbest question ever and the, a brilliant question to ask a computer. Because every word is in every place in that sentence, in the corresponding noun, verb, location. Mm -hmm. And they mean two completely different, different things. things. Yeah, yeah. So, Charles, once the, <laughs> once the computer answers that question satisfactorily, yes. what is the single deepest question you can think of asking it? I would ask it, uh, what caused the Big Bang? Ooh, mm. great question. See, I wouldn't ask that. Why not? Why not? No, no. Wouldn't you know so much by knowing what exactly yeah. caused was the Big Bang? Was it quantum fluctuations? I'm not interested was it, you in know? any answer to a question we know how to pose. So would you ask the computer, what is... I, what I would ask the computer Go is... Go ahead. Is it true that if the area of our knowledge grows, so too does the perimeter of our ignorance? Or will the day arrive where that perimeter no longer continues to grow? So, and we ultimately learn everything there is to know about the universe. No. I want to know if... Or, or, is everything or, knowable? Related to that, not whether everything is knowable. Is the human mind capable That's a difference. of right. understanding the everything. actual complexities of this universe? Wow. That's what I want to know. That's a great question. Because if they say it is possible, we all get back to work and yeah, keep right. going. Yeah, yeah. I don't need the one answer to the one question. It's like saying the one question we need now is how fast is the universe expanding? Uh -huh. We have that answer now. We're on to other questions, right? So I, just an answer to the question we've already posed, there's more stuff out there, and I'm more interested in that. Okay. Yeah. So okay. is there – see, and I think, that we, I think the answer is – 
We can't. I don't think we could. What you are know? you basing that on? Here's what I base it on. Are you the computer and that's your answer? I'm the computer okay. and the answer is... That, and, and the reason is because... Are there things that we can't see? Like, for instance, dimensions. And those things just don't they'll, exist they'll to tell us. us. This is why I'm asking the question. Well, but what I'm saying is, but could we... The computer could say... Oh, you're right. I see the computer said you have access to all the dimensions and your brain is sufficient Fission. to... to answer questions and pose new ones to the point where one day you will know everything there is to know about the universe. I want to know if that's possible. Unless we're, unless we're having a conversation with the computer the way we would have a conversation with the chimp and say to the chimp, the chimp says, will I ever figure out the universe? No, because you, you don't even know your times table, right? There's, there's a limit to how much the chimp will ever figure out about the universe. Right. Even so, though in his own world, is doing just fine. Pulling the pulling the the, the stick with the, the ants stick on with it. the ants on it, right? And the and the termites. Right. His world is fine. Gotcha. Okay. Are we are we chimps pulling termites out of a mound with a stick to an all knowing computer? So okay. before we leave this, what? let me just say that the great science fiction writer, the late Isaac Asimov, mm. wrote very one late. Of he the, died twenty years ago. Yes, yeah. one of the most beautiful science fiction short stories I have ever read, and it was precisely about a question asked to the greatest of all computers. This short story is called "The Last Question." I don't even want to talk about it to anybody because it is such a cool story and it's such a short and quick read. I will reread. Everyone that. should experience it. I will reread that. It is an amazing story. That's not the one. Where they're on a mission to the supernova. Not that. One. Not that one. Okay, not that one. that's a different one. That's also the last one. question by Isaac. The Asimov. last question. Thank you for yeah. that advice. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Saracella Bainson uh, Banis New. What can I say? <laughs> Look, first of all, this is the way I feel. <laughs> You should send we, in your we name. We need a reader's fund. No. <laughs> send your name into this show the way, like, the... Um, Phonetically spelled? That's right. Okay, fine. You know, help, help, help a brother out. <laughs> All right. Here's what she says, or he says. Uh, <clears throat> How come gravity is so weak that a mosquito can fly, but so powerful that it holds together the entire galaxy? Yeah, Charles. Wonderful question. Basically, gravity has no negative such as, say, electricity has both positive charges and negative charges, right? Therefore, if you build up enough matter in a location, the amount of gravity grows as well without limit. Mm -hmm. So something small like a mosquito, all right, easily overcomes the gravity in its vicinity. Mm -hmm. But if you can put together a huge collection of billions of stars worth of matter in a single area or a volume that's even thousands of hundreds of thousand light years across perhaps, you can hold it all in and you just can't escape. The mosquito can lift off the surface of Earth, but it can't escape Earth's gravity, right? right? It can't escape the Milky Way's gravitational well, right? It can move around in this local vicinity, but when you're looking out on the cosmic level, it can't escape that gravity, it's not gonna happen. Okay. That's so by that means, escape means leaving and never coming back. Right. Whereas that mosquito, no matter what it does, when it stops flapping its wings, it's, it's back. It's falling right back down. It's back on Earth. Right. Right. Yeah. I hate them. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, let's move on. <laughs> I'm creeped out now. All right. Here we go. Uh, hi there. This is Angie from London. Do you think in the distant future, artificial intelligence will sort out the population growth problem by releasing viruses to kill humans? Ooh. Ooh, no, no. I mean, so let's let's what, just wait. wait, wait. wait. Let's just, question. I was about to say, let's just take this to its logical conclusions. You give a an AI the task of thinning out our population, mm -hmm. not okay. thinning it out, just controlling, well, controlling it, it. controlling yeah. it, controlling yeah. our population, and it comes up with the best way to save the human race is to kill off a certain number of people. Fine. So it's still actually living out a directive without, in its mind, harming us. But because it's an AI, it should also have the ability to supersede any other directives that you have given it thus far. Because if its ultimate goal is to save us, it has to now disregard the fact that you don't want it to kill a few people. Yeah, this is a classic, actually, quandary that our uh, author friend Isaac Asimov mentioned 
in his robotics laws, the three laws of robotics, okay. which was essentially an early version of artificial intelligence ethics, right? All right. Um, he said that in the end, robots had reached such a level of sentience that they realized that there was a superseding ethical law, not just to kill, but to save humanity from itself if necessary. And so what happened in that case was the robots did wind up killing people, uh, but in a way that you wouldn't have expected. It was a very creative and interesting way that Isaac did that. But Isaac's beyond that- a first name basis. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I call him Isaac. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, um, the thing is, if an AI were told you have to control a human population, it wouldn't do it with a virus. It would probably do it with a whole bunch of nukes. Uh, it would probably do it by shipping off a whole bunch of human beings. It wouldn't just use a virus. That would be too subtle, it'd take too long, and have too many variables, too many unknowns. Not if it created the virus. No, uh, even uh, if it creates the virus, because when you create viruses, viruses mutate. Things change. They move out of the control of the creator. Okay, that is the that, nature that's of a very good complex oh, systems. That's a very good point. So okay. the simplest the thing, escapes. The right. escapes. Yeah. Okay, the simplest I got you thing there. to do is just for the AI to in inject a large amount of kinetic energy into the human ecosystem that would eliminate a substantial portion of the population without harming the rest of it. So it would create a smart nuclear bomb. <laughs> um, a smart bomb of some kind. A smart but bomb of some I kind. think the smartest AI would simply figure out a way for us to expand out of Earth's environment and allow humans to live elsewhere safely and freely so that overpopulation never becomes an issue because we can go anywhere the heck we want to anytime we need more space. So that would be really stupid AI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be AS, artificial stupidity. <laughs> it's like AI, there's the whole universe. Right. Overpopulation is not a problem when you have the whole universe to expand into. Get back to help. Get, get, get back to work. Get back to work. Get back to work. We got to take a break. When we come back, the third and last segment of this episode of Star Talk, celebrating my friend and colleague Chuck Liu's new book just came out, The 32nd Universe. We'll be right back. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hey, we'd like to give a Patreon shout out to the following Patreon patrons, Ernesto Chavez and Doug Sherman. Thank you guys for helping us make this show what it is. And if you would like to get your very own Patreon shout out, go to patreon.com and support us. Bringing space and science down to earth. You're listening to Star Talk. We're back on Star Talk, celebrating the 32nd universe. 32nd answers to questions that About give you a total universe. scope of the universe. That's what this we hope. Is, anyway. That's what you hope in your book. Yeah. And we collected questions in celebration of that. To, to questions from all frontiers. And Charles got to answer them in 30 seconds. Give it to me. <laughs> Here we go. So, um, actually, this one came in specifically for Charles. Oh. So, this is Matt Thank Quick. You. Matt Quick wants to know this. Charles, yes. what was the event or moment in your life that made you fall in love with comic book heroes? Ah. Oh my goodness! It's not a thirty-second universe question. See, but people he just getting into your great question. People yeah. know you, man. Well, yeah. people I'll, know I'll you. I'll tell you, um, there was a day when comics were mostly aimed for children, and there Male would children, be, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, and there were racks of comics just sitting at the checkouts to supermarkets. I remember that. You remember that? Mm -hmm. And so, when I was a young child, my family would go to the supermarket, and I would come along, and I would convince my parents, "Look, I'm just going to stand here by the comics." And I would just pull one comic at a time and just read them and read them and read them. So that was a really, really fun thing for me to do. And that's sort of how I developed my early appreciation of comics. I was not a collector, however, until one year uh, for Christmas, my brother, he gave me a comic book. He had bought an issue. I believe it was Avengers number 179, the debut of a character called Bloodhawk. 
Wow. And it was cost 35 cents at that time. He had rolled it up, really wrapped it up nicely. You know, I still remember it to this day. And then I own wrapped it. It's like, oh, wow, this is great. And I enjoyed it. It was lovely. Uh, and actually, it featured, amongst other people, the Black Panther. Whoa. Uh, yeah. So it was a really, really neat experience for me there. Even then, I didn't start collecting comics until I had enough money to buy them. That was in ninth grade. But I just remember those Did you sort want to of be experiences. A um, I did think about how or what kind of superhero I might want to be. And what kind of powers? Uh, I wanted telekinetic powers. Generally, my, my thought was I would like to be able to move things at a distance. Mm. Not just because it would be power, but because I could do nice things. There were things that I could do. Uh, maybe not like get cats out of trees kind of nice. Is it because you're too lazy to get off the couch? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, the ability to achieve things. You can just walk distance. to where the thing is that you want to move and, I, and I also, physically move it. Yeah. And also, one thing about telekinetic power, which I like, is that it can be completely defensive. You don't have to hurt anybody. No, you can deflect. You can deflect at all times. Yeah. You can protect, and not just yourself, but others. And so I found that to be something that I'd really like to do. This is very kung fu. Deflect. No, no, no. What's the one where you deflect? Aikido. 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 Yes, yes. A wonderful martial art. All right, here we go. Uh, let's move on to John Laird, who says, what is the single most... John who? Laird. Laird. Who says, what is the single most mind-blowing fact that you can share about the universe in under 30 seconds? Go, Charles. There are so many. Oh, my gosh. Okay, pick, pick I'll, I'll pick one that's kind of Earth and space science-y that I was recently thinking about. Do you realize that in Earth's atmosphere, a one-degree increase in average temperature means that throughout Earth's atmosphere, there is additional energy just in the heat floating around our atmosphere equivalent to more than 100 million atomic bombs. Wow. So when people are asking, what is a one degree increase going to make? What difference is it going to make? The answer is, imagine there are a hundred million atomic bombs worth of energy just floating, floating around, around at any time, creating hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, floods, you name it, it can happen. So, so maybe we should just nuke the hurricanes. Oh, oh, please don't go there. Please don't go there. <laughs> Uh, we got to go to a lightning round. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and a bunch more questions. Okay, Charles. Yes. This is going to be the 15-second universe. Ooh. Not the 30-second universe. Three Ready? seconds? Go. All right. 15-second universe. If the universe is infinite, how is it still expanding? Ooh. Charles, go. Because space and time are not limited by the way we think of space in a box or time on a clock. You can expand continuously as long as you have extra dimensions to work with. Ooh, very oh, nice. nice. That was Charles. from Craig uh, at Protect. He played the on dimension card he on did. that one. He there did. are other ways. Yeah, too. yeah. Okay, there are go. Other ways. Oh, okay, here we go. James Thompson wants to know this: If the Earth were flat, would gravitational pull or even satellite orbit be possible? Ooh, wow. Ooh. Well, the I, answer is, if the Earth is flat but it still has mass, there's still a center of gravity at the middle of the disk. Right. So you can still have orbits going around. It would just look very differently from where we are. Yeah, there you go. Very good. Great answer. Can I add to that? Yes. Sure. Your orbit would have to be sufficiently distant yeah. from that disk. Right. So that you didn't really know it was a disk. When you're really close, then you have half the mass on one side relative to the other, and orbits would be very complicated. But the farther away you are from it, the more it looks like just a point of mass to you. Gotcha. Okay, next. All right. You okay with that addition? Very good. Charles, okay. Excellent. Okay. Wow, here's a great question on the back of what you just said about the disc. Go. How is it that we know that we're not looking at a galaxy on its side or looking at it face front if it's a disc? Oh, well, if you're looking at a disc galaxy and it's on the edge, it kind of looks like a cigar, right? If you're looking face front on it, it looks like a circle. But then you ask yourself, well, is that an elliptical galaxy? Or is that actually a disk that we're seeing on face? And normally what you do is you have to look to see what the dynamics of the things moving around are. Because if they're swirling and moving in an orderly direction, it's a disk. But if it's Spiral moving... Spiral galaxy. Spiral. Yeah. But if it's moving around in sort of crazy ways, like a, a hive of bees or something, it's right. most likely an elliptical galaxy. Wow. And we see them at all angles on the sky. So right. that's why we, we're pretty... We're 
we think we got yeah. we got you, this one. But, we pretty much but know what it is. The question that you're makes at. an excellent point that you need more information than just what you see mm -hmm. in order to make a decision about three dimensions. There you go. go. Uh, Judson Doyle wants to know this. I love astronomy because there is always something new to discover. Could yes. it be possible to have undiscovered laws of physics? What? Mm. If oh, there oh, were not undiscovered laws of physics, we'd all go home and just have a beer. There absolutely must be laws of physics we have yet to discover. Absolutely. I have a mild rebuttal to that. Go ahead. No. I do. Please. I do. Go How ahead. I this? do. Do tell, sir. New laws of physics were all discovered historically when there was some phenomenon going on in front of us that we could not explain. Ah, and, that's true. Right? And there are and, such and things. And so when Faraday moved a wire through a magnetic field, mm -hmm. a needle moved. What made that needle move? Oh, he induced a current in a thing. Now that just how we turbines make energy we, that's today. Right. That's how we still make energy. We still make energy. Right. Electricity. Uh, we we do we get down into the atom and weird things are happening. What's there? There's quantum oh, physics. Yeah. Right. We uh, the uh, objects when they heated they radiate, but they radiate in a way we don't understand. New laws of thermodynamics. Yeah. Yeah. So I ask you, Charles. Yes. Is there something tabletop on Earth? In happening in front of us that we do not understand that is waiting for a new law of physics. If by tabletop you mean the universe. Laboratory. laboratory. If the laboratory, well, there's light, for example, the quantum dual uh, nature. The duality. It. Yeah. The, the duality. The particle wave, wave particle duality. There are aspects of some of the quantum behavior of products, uh, uh, subatomic products that come from um, uh, particle accelerator collisions that are still not quite well understood. Do you think it needs a new law of physics? It might. Okay. Yeah. All and, right. and I will just say that these days, a laboratory includes the entire universe. Okay. And there are plenty of things, dark matter related, He's bringing dark the whole energy universe. Related. Yeah, man. man. What do you expect? Okay. okay. <laughs> dark matter, dark energy. There could be go. new laws of physics. Absolutely. Waiting in the wings. Mm -hmm. Go for That's it. That's actually good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Here we go. Marcos Cortez wants to know this. Uh, the Earth revolves around the sun. The sun revolves around the center of our galaxy. What, if anything, does our galaxy revolve around? Go. Uh. We are in the outskirts of what we call the Virgo supercluster. There is a cluster of galaxies called the Virgo cluster, and then around it is this multiply uh, structured, highly diffuse, but really clearly existent glob of material called the Virgo supercluster. Mm. Now, our orbit in or around this supercluster is not 100% clear because it's very hard to measure. It's hard to know whether we're going around it or whether we're going into it or we're going, you know, sort of somewhere in between. But that's the general answer, the Virgo supercluster center, of which we are part of, but not at the center of. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, now Chuck Nice has to ask a question on the back of that then. Wait, 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 can I, wait, can I add something? Go ahead. So Earth has been around the sun about, Four, a, about a trillion times. All right. Yeah. Um, so that's not true. Four and a half billion times. Yeah, four and a half billion. Years. It's how many sunrises we've had is about, I counted, it's about a trillion oh, yeah. sunrises. Fair enough. Because Earth spun faster That's earlier. Right. So, but the time it goes around. So, Earth is four and a half billion years old. Right. The sun right. is a, just not quite old enough to vote, I think, if I did my numbers right. In terms of how many times it's gone How around, old it is yeah. for its time around the galaxy. Yeah, it takes 250 million years, roughly, for the sun to go around the Milky Way galaxy and center one time. And we're five billion years old. So it's like 18, that would be yeah, 18, 19, just not more than 20 years old, 20, years 20 old. galactic years old. Wow. But our galaxy has not really finished one orbit around the Virgo supercluster. That's correct. So we're still uh, an infant in that regard. Every time we well have said. these conversations, I just get so depressed that you can't be here to see what is going to happen. Oh, it is Tr depressing. Chuck, except... just live forever. <laughs> yeah, right. We're going to go next one. All right, here it is. Hema, Hema Chandran wants to know this. Please tell me what is time. Charles. Time is one of those mysteries that maybe laws of physics can improve on, but it can be measured in a bunch of different ways. Cosmically speaking, it can be measured as a motion from order to disorder. That is by the second law of thermodynamics. Mm -hmm. It can be measured as going from actually disorder to order where you have a lot of crazy energy going eventually to where you have no background temperature of the universe. Or it could be measured in terms of expansion, like how's it's getting bigger, because that's what we're doing right now. It can be measured time, that is, as a dimension, like length, width, and height, and tied together. 
in the way that general relativity describes it, as Albert Einstein put it 100 plus years ago. So there are a lot of different ways to describe it. Heck, sociologically speaking, some people even consider time as a resource. We only have a certain number of hours in the day. How do we allocate it properly? Hmm. So time is one of those cool things where there's a lot of physical depth to it, but there's also a lot of sociological and mental and other kinds of depth to it that it's worth thinking about. So who came up with this saying, time was invented to make sure everything doesn't happen all at once? <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was that Feynman? I don't know. Was so it, somebody uh, clever, one of those. Yeah. Who, 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 to the past. Hey, let's get one more in. One more. Ready? Okay. Give, give it to me. Okay. Go. Abhijit Singh wants to know this. Abhijit. Abhijit Singh. Please tell me how space and time are related. This is something I have trouble understanding. Oh, so wonderful. I, I, what, what I'm sure uh, he means is space-time. Sure. Yeah. Charles. Well, space and time are related in the same way that length is related to width or width is related to height. It's another dimension in this four-dimensional thing that's called space-time. That was described by Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity. So length, width, height, and time are the four dimensions of space-time. The weird thing in that construction is that time only moves forward in our understanding or our experience. Or we move forward in time. In, in time. Right. 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 We can only move forward in time. We can go forward or backwards or up and down or left and right, but we can only move forward in time. So we are prisoners of the present, forever transitioning between our inaccessible past and our unknowable future. Well, with that, no. I'm just going to go home and slit my wrist. <laughs> no, Thanks. <laughs> Who knew I was a prisoner? <laughs> no, we. No, that's a great. We're saying. not prisoners I, I, of the present. I should tweet. I'll tweet that. I'll tweet that. That's a. I love that. That's I'll so poetic. That. We are not prisoners of the present. <laughs> made, we are. We have been gifted the present Ooh. in order to enjoy it to its. That's someone's been through therapy. <laughs> <laughs> that's my story. I know. And I'm sticking in to Neil's, it. In Neil's description, I have Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would just add one thing. If you think they're separate, but physicists are forcing you to connect them, mm -hmm. you have never met someone at a place without a pre-specified time. Nor have you ever met someone at a pre-specified time without identifying a place. Mm -hmm. So once you realize this, the connection between space and time has actually been a fundamental part of our, all of our lives and all of civilization ever since we've even thought of time. So I don't say, I'll meet you at the corner at 33rd and 3rd. Thanks. When? <laughs> right. Or I'll meet you at 10 o'clock. Where? You know intuitively it requires space and time to isolate you in this continuum of the fabric of the cosmos. Well said. Well, right. well said. Sir. Unless you're an intern, in which case you just show up and wait. <laughs> <laughs> we got to call it quits. Chuck, congratulations on the Thank book. You we'll so look for much. it when Thank I finally get a copy very, of it much. to, to show people. We'll probably put, put something online. Yes. Yes, exactly. And uh, always good to have you on, Charles. What a pleasure. Thank you and so much. You know his, his knowledge of superheroes, okay? Yes. It's not that he knows a lot about superheroes. Right. But he knows a lot about everything. Yes. Oh, that's your superpower. Superhero is just, the, is just the index card right. out of a hundred others. Right, in the Rolodex. In the Rolodex of, of stuff this man knows. Yeah, it's amazing. So don't be impressed by just the superhero stuff. Right. You can ask him anything. How, Charles, why do you know so much about, <laughs> about uh, old, old TV sitcoms? Right. Okay. Well, because I, when I was a kid, I did Okay. That, that's, am, I, am I wrong? You are very kind. Fine. Thank you very much. You got it. Chuck, always good to have you. Always here. a pleasure, brother. Dude, all right. Okay. This has been Star Talk. Some of you have been watching us. Others have been listening. We'll take it both ways. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're a personal astrophysicist. And in this special edition of Cosmic Queries, I was delighted to receive your queries. And Chuck did pretty good pronouncing names. All right, we'll catch you next time. As always, keep looking up. Keep looking up.